Good morning. I was uh, preparing to speak today at our final message in this relationship series that we've been in. How many of you all have been a part of any of those recently? It's been really good and enlightening, right? Lots of really great information, lots of things to be thinking about. And uh, I've been in- invited today to speak to you about uh, something I've really been in- involved in and in working with my whole life, you know, from being a little kid uh, leading worship in my church um, to growing up to eventually being on staff as a, as a worship leader and a worship pastor in my, ch- my home church. And then from there on, learning and growing uh, in leading the liturgy and, and thinking about liturgy uh, my whole life, really. And so uh, thank you, Pastor Claire and Pastor Scott, for inviting me to do that. I told my kids this morning that I was going to be speaking and uh, asked them what they thought I should say, as if I, as if I hadn't had a message <laughs> prepared. And, uh, and my daughter told me that, um, what did she say? She said for me to tell you that I'm the best dad ever. That was... That was her message suggestion. Um, my youngest, he told me that I should tell you that Jesus loves you and that we can then go and love everyone we meet, which I thought, man, you should be doing this, not me. And, uh, and then my oldest, he asked me to tell you things that were completely inappropriate for me to say, so I'm just not going to, I'm not going to say them. I, I promise you they, they're not good. Uh, he was being sarcastic, of course. I'll give him that, but... But I'm not quite sure if he's saved, you know what I mean? <laughs> so anyway, worship and prayer. I want, to, um, I, want, <laughs> I want to talk about worship and prayer in the context of what we just did, the liturgy that we were, we were just in part of, and we still are. Um, it, that we, I want to couch it in even what, what Anthony just so kindly and graciously led us in in this prayer in Psalm 23. Because I think that that psalm, and I'm going to talk about this in a minute, I think that psalm shows us the, the form of the transfiguration of our hearts into the heart of the good shepherd that we just got done praying about. That, that Psalm 23 is actually a kind of a format of the psalmist becoming more and more like Christ, and more and more taking on the heart of the shepherd he says is guiding him or her. And so... Uh, I want to talk about it also in the context of the disciples. As I was preparing, I kind of had some thoughts that I had been rolling around in my head about what, what is liturgy and what is worship and, and what does it mean for us? What does it do for us? And I started to recall things from Scripture that, um, that I thought were, were very important and a part of this conversation that I should bring to you. And what I didn't realize until later when I started looking for those sources, because it was coming to me from memory, is that they're all right in the same two chapters of the Gospel of Mark. And uh, it's just completely fascinating because uh, actually as I began to just read through those two chapters, I found this little key that Mark seems to be suggesting, the very thing that I wanted to say to you today. (laughs) So I really should just read Mark and sit down, Uh, but I'm not going to because maybe, you know, maybe it would be helpful for me to continue on. Maybe it won't. We'll see. Um, But let me just summarize quickly those two chapters. So in Mark's gospel in chapter 6, the disciples are already being sent out by Jesus. Now, they haven't, they haven't confessed him as Lord. If, you, if we just had Mark's gospel, at this point, the disciples and nobody knows and has said, this is the Son of God. So they're being sent out from their rabbi to minister in God's name, right? And Peter hasn't confessed, as he does in chapter 8, that he's the Christ. Uh, Jesus hasn't been transfigured before their eyes. None of that. They're just, they're ministering, and Jesus is sending them out to go and proclaim the kingdom of God at hand. And so when they go and do that, they come back and they report to Jesus everything that they had done. And it, it goes on from there that the crowd kind of followed them back to Jesus. They're excited that Jesus is there. They gather. And so the disciples are kind of tired of them. And they say, send them away. And Jesus says, no, you feed them. That's where we have five loaves, two fish. Christ feeds this multitude of people, and even beyond that, continues to pray for them and heal them and bless them. And then he sends his disciples across the lake on a boat while he goes to the mountain to pray. And while they're in the boat and they're on the lake, a storm rises up and they're terrified because they're being tossed to and fro. Jesus walks out onto the water and he means to pass by them, but they spot him. They get afraid and he says, Whoa, it's me, you know, calm down. (laughs) He gets in the boat and he calms the storm. And they're amazed. The the gospel there says that they're amazed. And then Mark has this curious phrase that I have been perplexed by probably my whole life. He says, they did not understand the loaves. 
their hearts were hardened. They did not understand the loaves, and their hearts were hardened. And do you know the very next thing that happens in Mark's gospel? It's chapter 7. The Pharisees come and they, they accuse the disciples of eating with unclean hands. He says, your, your disciples defile themselves. And Jesus says something really odd here. He starts talking about poop. Because what he says is, he says is, don't you know that what you put in your mouth just goes to your stomach and comes back out? You should tell your kids that we talk about poop in here. They'll love it. Um, and what he says is, he says, you're not defiled by what you put in your mouth. It's what comes out of your mouth. Why? Because what comes out of your mouth defiles you. And then he says, do you also know that it's what's in your heart that's coming out of your mouth? Now notice that. They don't understand the loaves when he feeds the 5,000. They come back and they have tons to tell Jesus about what they did. But the crowd's there and they want him to go away. And that's not Jesus' heart. That's not the heart of the shepherd. You see, because it's possible for us to minister, to even be sent in Jesus' name, and yet not carry his heart. It's possible to carry the name of Jesus and not carry his heart. Should I say it again? It's possible that we might walk in the name and be sent by the name of Jesus, and yet not carry the heart of the good shepherd. And as a matter of fact, we've probably seen a whole lot of that in our lives. But so what Jesus does then is he says, that, uh, what the gospel says is that their hearts were hardened right there in the middle of that. And then Jesus does a teaching about your heart. And what he says is, there's an interesting little kind of circle that's happening if you think about it, if you look at it. What Jesus has to say is, is that what's coming out of your mouth is shaping you. That's what's defiling you. Sometimes what we have to say is edifying us. What we have to say is faithful and good. You know, when Paul, the Apostle Paul talks about, think about the things that are lovely and good and pure, right? Some of those things can come out of our mouths, and of course, we're edifying our, our hearts. But sometimes what comes out of our mouths is not edifying. It's defiling us. It's actually shaping our heart in a way that's not going to be good for us. And then Jesus says, what, what's coming out of your mouth is actually coming from your heart. So if I'm praying, and what's in my heart is anxiety, what kind of prayers am I going to pray? If I'm fearful, what kind of prayers does a fearful heart pray? If I'm jealous, what kind of prayers does a jealous heart pray? If I'm greedy, what kind of prayers does a greedy heart pray? Or an angry heart? Or a racist heart? What kind of prayers come out and then defile the, that same heart? So what do we do about this circle if I go into prayer and all I'm doing is spinning in the, in the mud of my mind and muck and in the mud of my heart, then how do I break the cycle? And I think that that's where the gift of the liturgy comes in. When, when the liturgy shows up in our lives, what it is is these are prayers we would not ordinarily pray. These are things we would not normally say to God. And so the, the gift of the liturgy, we, people talk about the liturgy they usually translate that to mean the work of the people. That's kind of the, the code language there, the work of the people. Except I think it's a misnomer. I think it's missing something because it cannot be our work in God's name unless it's first God's work in us. So and, it, and the gift, the, the worship that is made possible by the gift of the liturgy cannot be a gift to God unless it is first God's gift to us. What we have to do is receive the liturgy as a gift that it is in order for it to take root in our hearts and reshape our prayers, reshape our minds and our affections, and even the way that we body forth the gospel. Are you with me? Oh, yeah. The liturgy comes and interrupts my prayers. It's the spirit that wants to break some of my prayers for a moment and give me better things to pray, more faithful things to pray. Yeah? Remember the disciples, they have some people that are doing some things in God's name, and they say, Wait, they're not one of us. Should we call down fire on them? Should we stop them? What should we do? And Jesus says, you don't know what your, what your spirit is right now. You don't know what spirit you're of right now. They need better things to say. They need better things to pray and to wish for and to want. And so the gift of the liturgy is actually, it's the gift of the spirit through the wisdom of the church over centuries and centuries and millennia. 
And a lot of us, in my upbringing, I was brought up Pentecostal, and so the liturgy it would be foreign, very foreign. That term would be foreign to me. And as a matter of fact, if you told me what it was, I would probably have rejected it. So think that now I embrace it the way that I do. There's definitely a story there, yeah? So the gift of the liturgy comes to us. What is the liturgy? Well, the liturgy is the agreed-upon, prescribed prescriptive forms that order and direct our worship. Notice that in this definition that I'm giving you, the liturgy is not the worship. The liturgy serves worship. Liturgy orders and directs worship, but it is not worship. And it includes, and is not exclusive to, readings from Scripture, sermons, songs, and prayers. So the liturgy serves and supports what we do here in worship. Many times people talk about liturgy and they think of it as like high church, low church, you know, very, the vestments, you know, the, the, the waving the incense and all of that, right? And sometimes we can get in our heads that that's kind of dead and then what we should do is what's alive, you know, like loud, exuberant praise and worship. And, and we can start comparing these two. And I think that this dead and alive category is false. Let's just go ahead and say the liturgy is dead. It's not living. We are. <laughs> We are the branches that are growing from the vine of Christ Jesus upon the trellis of the liturgy. The liturgy helps us to stay out of the, out of the, the mud of our anxiety and fear. That when something comes into our life and it in, invokes fear in us, the thing that comes out of our mouth is not that fear and anxiety immediately. We've been trained by the liturgy instead to say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, right? Or, God, most merciful God, we confess that we've sinned against you. There are different things that I respond and how I respond when I'm shaped by liturgy than 24-hour cable news, yeah? So the liturgy helps us to respond, but when we, when we think about the liturgy as dead or alive, we're missing it. What we, should be, what we really are talking about is formal and informal. There are some liturgies that are very formal. You might find this in a Catholic mass. There are some liturgies that are very informal, and none of those are better than the other, by the way. Because you can be formed by a formal liturgical worship and still sign the cross as you bless and baptize the Inquisition. You can be formed by formal liturgical worship as you put a cross on your shield and go and commit the cruelty and the barbarism of the Crusades. And you can be formed by liturgical worship and still have God with us on your belt and crosses on your guns as you follow Hitler's orders in the Holocaust. Germany in the mid-20th century was 50% Catholic and 50% Protestant. That's 100% Christian people. So formal liturgy isn't better. An informal liturgy, we can have that right here in our American history where we can clap and shout and sing and speak in tongues and still carry racist beliefs about our neighbors in God's name. So the question isn't whether it's formal, informal, It is dead. We don't need to talk about whether it's alive. We are the ones who are living in Christ. But the question we should ask is whether it's faithful or unfaithful. Whether what we're saying is faithful to Christ and his disciples or if it's unfaithful. I say faithful to Christ and his disciples because I think it's a little arrogant for us to think that the only people we're responsible to are those in the 21st century for what we say about God and how we treat our neighbors. Don't you? That I'm only accountable to anybody who's still alive right now about what, how I carry the name of God that's been given to me over centuries and centuries of time. And a faith that doesn't just belong to me, but belongs to you, belongs to them, right? We're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, amen? So what is worship then? Because liturgy, like I said, supports worship. So worship is the communion with God that takes place as we gather in Christ's name. For a set-aside time and set-aside places to follow the liturgy or to break it. I had to add that in there because I feel like today I'm kind of breaking it. Normally when we, when we come to this time in their service, which should be the preaching of the word, right? But instead I'm talking about liturgy. But we break the liturgy or follow it insofar as it helps us find our way into apprehending and bearing witness to that communion with God. So as much as it is helping us to to get that communion, to see it, and then to bear it faithfully to our neighbors, we follow or break the liturgy. Are you with me still? 
So let's talk about how it does this. How does the liturgy help form the heart of the Good Shepherd in us? Well, first of all, I'm going to give you a couple of verbs here. First of all, it binds us to faithful witness. It binds us to faithful witness. Again, we're not just responding how we feel. We're thinking about what would be faithful to the gospel that we've received. Amen? Then it reorders our minds, our bodies, and our hearts into corporate posture of openness to God in our neighbors and our neighbors in God. It gracefully restricts us and redemptively directs us. It restricts us from saying certain things, from praying prayers that we should not pray. And it directs us into praying better prayers than we would normally. And then it teaches us to speak in other tongues. Like I said, I grew up Pentecostal, and what I'm not saying here is that the liturgy is going to make you Pentecostal. That's not what I mean. But what I am saying is that because the liturgy gives us better words, that as, as I come to you from a Pentecostal background, that means something to me, right? That comes from a certain tradition in me that goes, yes, amen. Because, because what's truth is, is that even though as a Pentecostal, I probably would have rejected the liturgy, truthfully, Pente- my Pentecostal experience in speaking in tongues, the gift of the speaking in tongues, actually prepared me for the liturgy. I was used to letting God put different words on my lips. It trained me that I needed fire on my tongue that wasn't just coming from me, right? And so the fire of the liturgy is given to us and placed upon like a coal upon our lips. You know that, that the, the prophet Isaiah talks about the coal being placed on his lips. And so here's an example of other tongues, something we would not normally pray. Most merciful God, we confess that we've sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. This is a hard prayer to pray. But some things I want to show you and, and, and bring that definition back to you to see how that works. Remember I said it binds us to faithful witness. It's Peter who, while he's ministering in God's name, while he's walking with Jesus, says, I am a sinner. And Jesus never corrects that idea for him. He just keeps walking with him. All the way till after he betrays him and denies him, right? And so when, when we talk about being bound to the disciples and to the apostles, being bound to faithful witness, we, we don't get to say that we're not sinners. The, the liturgy teaches us to recognize that we are sometimes participating in sin and to repent of it. It's hard for us sometimes because sometimes we don't want to talk about our sin. But the liturgy teaches us to confess it with faith in God, that God is there with us in spite of it. Yeah? It it teaches us to, to be in faith with Paul, who says, I'm the chief of sinners. Here's our apostle telling us, I'm the chief of all sinners, guys. You know? So this binds us to faithfulness to them. It also reorders our prayers. Think about what it says. I've not loved you with my whole heart. I've not loved my neighbor as myself. We've not loved our neighbors as ourselves. So it it reorders our imagination, our heart, our mind, and our bodies toward our neighbors. It restricts and redirects. Also, notice that we don't say, I confess that I'm a sinner. I have not loved you with my whole heart. I have not loved my neighbors myself. I even slipped a moment ago and said it and caught myself. That's not what the liturgy teaches us. It teaches us to say we. And when we say we, we're not just talking about the people in this room. We're talking about we as all the sons of Adam who have been brought in and adopted as sons of Christ, yeah? We're praying for everyone on this planet. We are sinners. We have not loved you with our whole heart. And in that way, we start to take on the heart of the shepherd who intercedes for those who crucify him, yeah? He says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. We pray, we have not loved you with our whole heart. That's me, that's you, that's my neighbor, that's our politicians, our governors, that's people all across the planet. We stand in the place of Christ mediating God's grace to them. And so the liturgy teaches us that. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit because I'm going to run out of time here. I want to read through that prayer that Anthony took us through. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And just make a couple of quick notes Not nearly everything I want to say today, but (laughs) notice that it begins with, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And it's a declaration about God, right? This whole first section is, it's about the Lord. 
He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. It's third person. But then catch it, the next phrase. It says, he leads me. Oh, I'm going to skip. Yeah, I'm going to skip one of those. Thank you. Just, uh, just in the next phrase where it says, the, the, he leads me beside. I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, he leads me on paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. So notice that the, the, in verse 3 it says, he leads me on paths of righteousness. And what's the very next thing that happens? Somebody. What's the very next thing? The Lord is leading me on paths of righteousness, and then I find myself in the, in the what? <laughs> in the valley of the shadow of death. There you are. All right, great. <laughs> so I'm leading, I'm being led by the Lord, and then I find myself in the valley of the shadow of death. How did I get there? But notice where the turn takes right here in the prayer, in the psalm. Because before I was talking about God and how he leads me beside still waters and he leads me on paths of righteousness. But then I find myself in the valley of the shadow of death and I stop talking about God and I start talking to God. You are with me. And so the disciple, us, we are led to see that we stop talking about God and we start talking to God in our suffering. And we have to start talking honestly in our prayers and in our worship, honestly about our suffering. It's, it's Job's friends who start talking about God to Job, and Job talks to God. God's judgment is, your friends have spoken wrong about me, and then he says, my servant Job has talked to me. Notice that God doesn't say everything he said was theologically great. He just says that he's getting the heart of the shepherd. He's recognizing he can talk to me in his suffering. And, and also, everything Job has to say is lament. It's complaint. And all of that belongs in the presence of God. Next, next section of the, uh, of the Psalm 23 there. It says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. We're about to do this right now. And one of the things that we can hear this as is, you prepare a table for me in order to shame my enemies. And when we read it that way, we can know that we have not captured the heart of the good shepherd that has not been formed and taking place in our hearts. I'm going to be brought into the presence of God, and I'm going to be sitting at the table, and then my enemies show up. The only reason God brings your enemy to the table is because he intends your enemy to sit down with you and eat, because he intends to reconcile you. That's what he says. He says he's the one who's broken down the wall, right? He's the one who's broken down these walls of division in the body. And so he intends for us to sit down and eat with our enemies because he intends to reconcile us with our enemies at the table. And until we see that in our prayers, we know that we're not being formed to have the heart of the shepherd. And once we see that, then we come to this next section You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Notice what's happening here is that the table that we're about to participate in is no longer just a table with my enemies. It's now a a feast of coronation. What What is the Christ? The Christ is the anointed one. But here we're being told he anoints me. So as we pray this and we, start, we stop talking about God, we start talking to God, next thing we know, we're at the table with our enemies and Christ is anointing us. Christ is anointing you. The anointed one anoints me? Yeah, because he not only intends for you to sit at the table with your enemies, he intends for you to serve him, to serve them the way that he has served you. Because Christ calls us in to not just be sheep, but to be shepherds with him, for us to mediate God's grace to others the way that he has mediated grace to us. And if I show any human being less respect than God has shown me, then I'm a hypocrite. Amen. Thank you, bro. So I don't have any more time. I've gone over, and I'm just going to wrap up with this. God brings us to the table and brings us through the liturgy so that we can be formed in his likeness by having the, the impulses of our heart, the things that we want to say sometimes, that aren't the good that He wants for us and for our neighbors. They are not the prayers that He intends for us to pray about ourselves and our neighbors. Because it's possible to love God and hate yourself. And it's possible to love God and hate your neighbor, but it shouldn't be. 
And God intends to form in you the impossibility of those. So that what it means to love God is to love your neighbor and to love yourself. What it means to love God is to see God's heart in you forming for your neighbors so that you no longer walk through the world thinking about what God does for you or even thinking about the suffering that you're standing in. But you start to look behind you and you say, surely goodness and mercy follow me. The people in my life have been affected by your goodness and your mercy because you are walking with me, because you have anointed me. You've anointed my head with oil. And so now I walk through the world and I can look behind me and see the wake of my life is goodness and mercy. And I'll dwell in your house forever as your friend. Christ says, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. So rise up to your calling in the Lord. Take on the heart of the good shepherd and show forth his love and his grace to the world because the world is hurting and in need. Amen? Amen. From here in our liturgy, we, from here unto the table, all that we do now is pray. Everything that we're going to do is going to be prayer, including as we confess our faith together. Can we stand together and confess this in prayer? And remember that when we pray this, we're praying this on behalf of the world, not just us. Let's pray it together. We believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Before we continue in prayer, uh, there's that phrase, the, the Holy Catholic Church. I want to be clear. I'm, I'm talking about all of the people of God. That's what that means, yeah? And including those who are not with us today. Including those who have been faithful and attending online and can't be here with us, like our dear sister Sharon Stewart, who's going to lead this first section of our prayers. So if you'll turn your attention to the screens as Sister Sharon leads us. We worship as one body in Christ. Elevate our thoughts, love, and hope towards your kingdom. We are grateful for the flexibility to worship where we are, in sickness, in health, online, in person, or around the world. As believers, may we be mindful of our brothers and sisters in Christ, both seen and unseen, that we may experience fellowship and connection as one. Oh God, our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. In this challenging time of continued pandemic and struggling ICUs, we come before you offering our prayers on behalf of those in need, the church and the world. Lord, Lord in, in your, your mercy, mercy, you hear you. our prayer. Heal those who are sick with the virus. May they have access to the medical care and regain their strength and health. Grant them your healing grace. Give strength to all who are caring for sick loved ones. For health care workers, grant them courage and protection as they need, as they put their needs, the needs of the public safety before their own. Bless scientists and researchers around the world as they continue to combat the virus and its variants that their work may yield knowledge and improve measures to reduce its harm. Let's sing together. 
your spirit, Lord, to rally the resolve of the nations of the earth to find pathways to save human lives, protect human rights, and to resolve the hardships of those suffering refuge, asylum, and safety. Hear our prayer for the peoples of Afghanistan. This we pray as followers of Jesus, the Prince of Peace.
continue to pray to you, and we praise you all our lives, all day long. And so we pray now as we prepare our hearts for the table. We begin preparing by a confession. We enter into the Eucharist, to this communion, by confessing our sin. And so I, wanna, I want to lead you in that prayer that we started in the middle of the message there. And it, it says this, most, most merciful God, let me get that on the screen. Most merciful God. Let's read it together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done and by what we have left undone, we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Amen. And now, to hear this word of the Lord spoken over you as well. Almighty God, have mercy on you. Forgive you all your sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. Strengthen you in all goodness. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, keep you in eternal life. Amen. service started and you said goodbye to a friend of yours that you went to school with and that you have loved God with your whole life and um, you told this little thing that he said to you uh, when somebody says where do you see Jesus now will you tell everybody about that yeah he um, a friend of mine is Gerald Simpson he coached, you know, kids. He, he was a very good mentor to children and people. Um, he helped a lot of kids, but um, he was coaching a basketball game one time, and um, the, the, the referees was giving him a hard time, and you know, and uh, his assistant um, blew up about what the referees. You know how it is. <laughs> And he was getting on the referees, and Gerald said, man, you got to stop that. You can't be doing that. He said, but Gerald, this is what they're doing. They're trying to do. And he said, no, man, you can't do that. Don't do that. He said, okay, okay. He said, it's, it's Christ in you. Christ is in you, man. He said, okay, okay. So another game came up, and the tables were turned. Gerald was getting upset because of what the referees were doing. And he blew up almost got kicked out of the game and his assistant said where is Christ now he said in you <laughs> so he was a, a great man of God uh, done a lot of great things and helped a lot of people 
But that right there is really something where he recognizes that he wasn't there at that time, but his assistant was. So I, I just thank God for him. I know he in heaven, he in heaven, waiting on me to get there later. I'm not going yet, but, you know, a little later, you know, whenever. Uh, but I, I love that brother dearly, you know. But uh, God is good. He's home. Yeah. And he's worshiping with Jesus right now and singing. He could sing a little bit, too. <laughs> and, but, and the beauty of his story of saying, where is Christ now in you? Mm-hmm. Amen. I, I just kind of want to look at each other today and say, where's Christ now? And tell somebody in you. So go ahead, look at each other. Where's Christ now? In you. In you. And I, I feel like um, the table is that place for us, you know, to see Christ. And Christ in you. Samuel, we saw Christ in you today as you brought the word to us. We saw Christ in you, Matt and Julia, as you led us in prayers. Just felt the power of Christ in you as you read prayers to us. I saw Christ in you, Anthony, wherever you are. Wave at me. I don't know where you are now, but I saw Christ in you as you led us in that prayer. I'm so grateful that Christ in you is the hope of glory. That while there is so much happening in the world today, we can turn to people and say, where is Jesus now? In you, Kelly, as you and I shared this morning about some really important things that we talked about as you lit candles in preparation for people to come. Christ in you. And I want to just take a moment here in the silence and take a breath And remember Christ in you. And now another breath. And remembering people that have gone before us, the great cloud of witnesses, and the people in this room and all over the world. Can we just breathe out and say, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Can you do that? Christ in you, the hope of glory, the image of the invisible God, Christ in you. Jesus taught us this at the table with even some of his own enemies that were about to betray him. He broke bread gave thanks in the presence of enemies said take this all of you and eat this is my body given for you and as you open up that little beautiful representation of bread and wine just hold it so tenderly and remember the brokenness Jesus was declaring that you're going to be with broken people when you take this communion. That Christ in you, the hope of glory, broken and whole. Christ in us. Can we say that Christ in us, the hope of glory, the glory of the invisible God, in you. And together we just say, Jesus, we remember you. And can we say, Jesus, we want to see you in your people. And together we eat. supper was over he took the cup lifted it up gave thanks and said take this all of you and drink it this is the cup of the new covenant the covenant of my blood which is shed for you and for all people 
so that sins are forgiven. And every time you drink, remember, remember me. And maybe even remember those who need the drink today, including us. So can we say, Jesus, we remember you. And we remember each other. Just a minute and, uh, and take a seat. You know, every, every week when we um, listen to the words of God, we sing the words of God, we sing um, and pray and look at one another as a part of the liturgy, we remember that um, there's always a response that can happen as we walk out the doors. I, I was with... Um, uh, Brent and Harmony Dawson this week, many of you, they, they may be your chiropractors, um, but they certainly are your neighbors. And uh, if you've been following them on Facebook, um, they, uh, they are both um, uh, struggling with cancer. And Jane, our dear sister um, and care minister in our church, is their mom. And um, they have three little boys. And uh, Brent has been traveling back and forth to Germany to receive treatments, and, and Harmony um, uh, just went through surgery. And, uh, and, you know, there are so many people that have reached out and beautiful things. But Scott and I went to pray with them last Sunday at their home, and um, one of the things that came up for me uh, that just, like, just illuminated the room was... Um, Harmony said that Shannon has been bringing food, that she brought this great chicken pot pie, I think it was. And I, you know, I just, um, I I just want to say, where's Jesus now in Shannon? You know, there are ways that through the, um, the, this big word vicissitudes of life through the, the difficulties that sometimes get even more difficult, people might say, where is Christ? And we would say, in you, in you. Um, the beauty of this kind of attention to liturgy and, and, and having what you call better prayers, you know, um, I think that better prayers are the prayers that we craft together as the body of Christ. You know, the creeds were written before people actually had a Bible in their home. So it was a way to declare what we believe together. And I love that. You know, songs that that we've been singing, or even the Jesus prayer that Bartimaeus gave us, the blind man. Jesus Christ, Son of David, have mercy on me. A sinner. That prayer has been prayed. And I think, you know, what would I have done without um, spaces like this to cry? Because I, I cried all through the prayers of the people today 
feeling the goodness of God and singing how long, O Lord, felt really true, how long, O Lord. And um, I, I love that you talked about the fact that these kinds of prayers actually... If we pray them, not just, you know, when we practice them in church, they will come up in a moment where something is happening. That we could just say, Lord, in your mercy, you hear our prayers. Or Jesus, we remember you. Right? In moments where you don't have a whole lot, you can actually say, you could sing, how long, O Lord, how long? Coming right from the scripture, we were taught those words. And so we just want to give you this idea of as you leave today, I wonder how you might even grow in the practice of prayers that have carried us through the ages. Um, you know, for Scott and I, 20 years ago, we were living in, in one of those big, huge storms of our life. and. Our daughter wasn't well. We didn't know if she would ever be well again. I lost my sister. We were, um, and my body had kind of betrayed me, and I was diagnosed with MS. And I ended up in a little retreat group where I practiced these kinds of prayers. How long, O Lord? My heart is not proud. I do not concern myself with matters that are too great for me but I still inquiet my soul like a wean child with her mother. I put my hope in God, for I shall yet praise you. And that retreat rhythm turned into our retreat rhythm, and Scott and I would go quarterly, and we would pray prayers with liturgy. And friends, you know, this is the, and this is the story, but... When I was told that they could find no more lesions on my brain and spine, I want to say that it really happened through the practice of letting go of my own words and taking in some words that were written for me to pray so that I could rest from my performance-oriented anxiety of trying to fix every problem in the world. (laughs) Now, you may not all have that problem, but I do. And so I... I think most of us have that problem. <laughs> yeah. So we started retreating. And, um, and for Scott, do you yeah. want me to say what happened to you, or would you like to say? Well, uh, as, as uh, Samuel so well said today, just to, um, you know, my initial response to the whole concept of things like liturgy uh, was similar to what he described um, you know, that I felt like I don't know that I really need that. But um, I love what Claire's saying, especially for me, when a lot of my life uh, in Christ has been a responsibility to prepare things for others. Um, you, you kind of kick into a mode of this is what I do. So to be able to receive, I loved when you said that, Samuel, to to be able to just be in the position of receiving. Um, sometimes when Claire and I are on break, one of the things we love to do is to go to other churches um, and to hide somewhere in the back <laughs> because just the thought of being there to receive is pretty wonderful. Um, but for me, that had to be, become a discipline of not being the one trying to create the words, but being the one to allow... Uh, really the history of the church, mm-hmm. the body of Christ, to speak into with the wisdom, the, the combined wisdom of the church and what God has done through the church to speak into my life. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, that's been transformative, continues to be. Yeah, and I mm-hmm. love that. And space. the beauty, yeah, mm-hmm. and the beauty of it is that um, on Sunday mornings you get little pieces of ancient words and then new words that we gather together around But on our retreats, what we do is we create more space for (laughs) prayer-like liturgy that is given to us so that we don't have to work so hard to find the words to say to God, and spaces of silence that you can take actually a little practice alone somewhere on the campus so that you can receive. 
You know, you all have very busy lives. Um, when I first started practicing retreat, I had young children and a robust church, and I needed somewhere that was less frenetic, to say the least. And so we create these retreats for you once a quarter, and uh, the first one will be on October 3rd, and we're welcoming you to, you know, put, put aside from 9 to 1 on your calendar time to be with God, to learn new practices, to learn maybe even about um, the way you have wounded your own life and, and maybe gotten in your own way uh, from being able to receive from God. And, um, and so we'll have more information on that. Here's another just a little quick part of it is that, you know, you, you know that we utilize a map called the um, Enneagram of Personality Styles to help people find out about ways they can open to the grace of God and let go of the ways they've gotten in their own way. So the first hour of that will be to teach people who are brand new or who need a refresher. And then at 10 o'clock until 1, we'll be taking practices that are very specific to who you are because not everybody relates to God in the, in the same ways. So we'll create space for you to be who you are. Yeah. And, um, and so we just want you to know that in response to a word, whether you are a person who wants to start trying out transforming retreats, it is, you know, when you look at it, it's like 9 to 1, are you kidding me, church from 9 to 1? <laughs> we promise you, it is not a long sermon from which you cannot break from. <laughs> These are ways for us to give you practices to take away on campus or in any of the rooms in the church for you to be alone with God and to open up to the work of God. And so we just want you to know you're invited. We are, um, we are making ready for you, and you're going to want to sign up. It's called Pay What You Can. You can pay anywhere from $10 to $100. It's up to you. And just know that we really want you to pay what you can, you know, so that's, there's that. And if you don't even have $10, all you do is shoot me an email and we'll get you set. But there will be times of worship and prayer and uh, ways for you to open to the grace of God. So with that, we're going to let Charles and Jill bless us. Will you stand, please? We're closing with this beautiful prayer uh, that goes along with the message we've heard this morning about Christ in us, in all of us, and Christ needing to be given to the world around us. Christ has no body but yours, no hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he looks compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands, yours are the feet, yours are the eyes, you are his body. Christ has no body now but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he looks compassion on this world. Christ has no body now on earth but yours. So good to ponder that, God. Go as Christ's body and be aware of God's deep love for you and through you. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures. Sure.